Welcome to the Office Hours, episode six. The photographers are in. My name is Ashton. I'm David. And Office Hours is the podcast where we talk about the things that trouble the creative minds across the world. Mmm. Mmm. Troubling. We are the flagship podcast of the Your Contractor 1099s are now overdue podcast network. Totally true. So welcome to another episode. Thanks for joining us, guys. And I, I guess, you know, it's it's been a busy kind of couple weeks. We had the Super Bowl. Uh, that kind of was crazy here in Atlanta for me. And yeah, um, I'm sure it was nuts for a lot of the folks, creative minds out there that may have been traveling for that kind of stuff. So uh, you were, this- I saw behind the scenes you were there for a minute. Yeah, I, I got to partner with this uh, really great agency out in California, of all places, that had uh, that wanted to do like a last like minute like charge activation. Oh, cool! Um, and so got a last minute nod to go hang out and and you know see some of the spectacle that is uh, the big game. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it was it was wild. It was a lot of a lot of good times. I mean, in like Atlanta here was just absolutely bananas. But what a great experience! A lot of people had a great time. Uh, the game was uh, you know <laughs> subpar. Sometimes that happens. I loved um, all the Pepsi ads that went up. That was very interesting here in Cokeland. So, so. cool. I, I just, I loved how they like engineered all the billboards to be like, we're in town. I actually follow the photographer that did, uh, that did that work. Steve something. Steve Geralt, I think. Steve, yeah. Uh, sorry if I got your name wrong, Steve. It, I'm so sorry. Um, but your work is incredible, and it was awesome to see it on the side of a building. Um, in addition to your Instagram, so yeah, um, he's actually in New York. He's up in your neck of the woods. He's amazing. He does amazing, amazing work. Yes, yes, and yes, he's yes, also yes. Uh, like a, a DP director extraordinary. Does a lot of video stuff. Definitely, yeah, cool. he does check like, him out. He has like the robots, robots yes. videos, which is wild. So wild. Um, Anyway, all right. Well, welcome to episode six. Thanks for joining with uh, sitting around with us, guys. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, it was actually I put an, uh, an all call out for some questions beforehand, and it, this one actually kind of caught our attention. And I think it was like maybe something we should dissect today. So the question was, um, how do you pitch value-added widgets to clients in a real way? Which you and I, David, started talking about it, and it really kind of brought up the bigger question of, well, do you upsell the client on the back end? Um, or do you sell that big widget up front? Um, so, uh, you know, tackle it from there, David. Let, let you run with it. Yeah, I mean, I got started as uh, like a portrait event photographer way back when. And like every seminar you ever went to, they always talked about upselling the client. Like you do the shoot for a loss or whatever, very little amount. You sell a package of photos. And then once you get them in the door and you start showing them all the beautiful stuff, you sell them even more. You upsell them. You sell them the giant print and the grandparent books and all the stuff, right? And I always thought, like, that's great. And I've been upsold in my life on many occasions by other things. And so, you know, I get it. It's cool. But for myself and for my business, uh, especially now, but even back then, I always thought, like, why can't I just sell it all up front? Like, why can't I just... Uh, offer a package that has all that stuff. And then, you know, if they don't want it, fine. But why do I have to like upsell? I, I don't know. I always felt like I was like fighting to get more as opposed to just being like, hey, would you like this? I felt better walking into the shoot knowing that I was shooting for, you know, three grandparent albums and a, you know, whatever, or as opposed to just like, oh, I'm getting my my feet, my sitting feet and my eight by 10 feet and I'll I'll get the rest later when I get them on the couch. 
Like, why not work it on the phone up front, show them all the stuff, and I don't know. Part of me is a very poor salesman, I think, and so... I don't like to sell. I like to just say, like, here it is. Do you want it? I agree with you, but I think the wedding photography industry um, is probably more on that side of, like, the upsell. And I guess not necessarily the upsell, but maybe the sell of products post uh, post shoot. I get that. Um, and, you know, I think that... I don't know. I think there's a fair bit of counsel on the front end for those like, and you know, I'll have a bunch of wedding photographers, please correct me if I'm wrong, but there's, there's like a, there's that pre consultation where you're meeting with that couple or with that family or whatever the, the, you know, the, the, the situation might be where you start talking about total investment in it's like, you know, mm -hmm. my commission for the day is this, and this is what we'd like to take. And here are some of my examples of my work. And we really strive to have people print their work or frame their work or have it in books because that is the lasting part of the day. You know, that kind of, that kind of shtick. Yeah. Um, as far as the upsell part goes, um, I don't know. I kind of agree with you. Like I like selling the work up front, And so I know exactly what I'm trying to do and I'm not motivated to try to, get you on the back end. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I'll take a hit up here knowing that I'm gonna I'm gonna push you hard on some stuff on the back end. Yeah. I don't know. I think maybe that's that's might be a changing of the times. Cause you know, we I think and this is that whole wedding photographer industry again. Like we used to go from this very like prints and album income generating oriented marketplace to now it's like the shoot and share style. Yeah. Where you're you know you're paying a photographer's artistic commission fees to make you the art to make you beautiful pictures. And in that, they they give you the license to print them on your own dime, on your own time. Sure. Um, well, yeah, I think it's the the idea of where the value is is shifting. It used to be the value was in the piece of paper, and now the value right. is in the time. And you know, and, and and that's a scary thing too, though, because valuing time is difficult. <laughs> you know, yeah. some people are look at time as well. It's just your time. Like it's just an hour. I look at my hour as like, that's a shit ton of money. Yeah. Ho no, hopefully. I, I mean, it's that whole idea that, you know, how, like it only took you an hour to make that, that thing. But in reality, it took you your entire professional career to make that thing. You know, sure. you had to bring in every bit of expertise or previous knowledge that you have on every other project sure. so that you could do that thing in an hour, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, and it's, it's, it's the whole idea of art. Like, how do you, you know, someone's art might be insanely expensive to one person and perfectly priced right to the other. I think like Peter Lick. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, it just slipped out of my mouth. Go ahead. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's like, so it's the idea that, you know, you, to your point, the conversation is shifting from the, the tangible goods is the cost to the artistic time. And f that's your fee. Now it's, it's, you're paying for the art time, mm -hmm. not the, not the product. Um, but I know commercial guys who live on the upsell, which blows my mind because I, I don't get it from a commercial standpoint. I, I can kind of get it from a retail standpoint. Like, yeah, I get you in for a little bit of money and then, and then I show you the big print and you know, you got to have it over your fireplace. So you buy it. I, I get that. But like from a commercial standpoint, I could never do it. I, I just, I, I, I don't get the math behind it and how it works. And like, but I know, I know guys and girls who do it and they, they get the client in under the premise of I, I can totally get that for you. I can we can do that and we can work out a deal and it'll be on the cheap and it's cool. And then little by little, they're like, hey, what if you know if we did these few extra shots on set and then like then I can sell them after the fact. And I'm like, 
Oh yeah. I, I, I get that. I get that you can like if you do a couple more shots, you can sell it, but like why don't you just get those shots in writing up front? Where you know you're gonna get the money. No, and I, I do I mean, like I I I like that. I mean, we because we talked about this a couple episodes ago, but the idea of like a shot list is it helps you build out your day and it yes. helps you understand the scope of the project. And yes. it also, you budget it f- accurately and fairly. I do think though that there to the, to merit the merit to the other side of it is that like, there are so many times in which a client may not know what they want until you show them, right. Yeah. Until you say, until you're in the situation and go, well, how about this angle? Did you think about that? And I think to that effect, like I've had some experiences where I mean that wasn't the the goal wasn't the upsell on the back end, but it was uh, we're in the we're in the trenches more or less, and like mm. oh this sounds like a cool idea. Let me just try this angle, or let me just try this particular spin on the shot, sure. and that becomes like oh that's an additional select that will will edit on the post end, and like you know it's 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 that's the add on. Yeah, I do think that you know when it comes to nowadays, I think that because the lines are very much merging between like the photo video end, you know you're working with a client, and obviously they want to do like agencies and clients, they want to do more with less, right? Yeah. So it's like the idea is like, oh, well, you shoot stills. Can you also shoot video? And so how do you pitch that value-added widgets, the value-added widget like that, that component in a way that makes sense to them, but also makes sense for you? We talked about this uh, once off the recording, but like yeah. the idea that like someone asks you, do you do video? And your reply was... It used to be yes. <laughs> Now it's like, uh, maybe <laughs> I might know a guy. It's funny because the question is, how do you pitch it? So like, and this is a conversation I've had recently with a lot of different creatives and it's, you know, I have a client who I know very well, right? I shoot for them all the time and I have ideas for that client. Okay. How do I pitch those ideas back to the client? That's, that's like one whole side of it for me. And then there's the other side, which is like, as I'm talking to the client, that I don't really know. And they're saying, well, we need 10 pictures. And I'm thinking to myself like, yeah, but I can make you 15. That would really set you for the next, whatever, couple months or whatever you have going with your social media, wherever the hell we're shooting for. Um, I don't do a lot of that first one. I don't do a lot of the, oh, you need 10? Well, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe we should think about doing 16 this month. You know, like I don't do a lot of that. What I do a lot of though is when I have you on set and we're shooting, I start to lay seeds for next month's shoot or the shoot after that. I go, you know, it'd be really cool if we did something like this, maybe, which is what I would consider to be like a value added widget. Like, Hey, let's take it from this level to the next level. And yes, that might cost you a little more money or that might take a little more time or both. But you know, because I know you, because I have a relationship with you, I'm comfortable saying like, Hey, maybe we should try this. I don't do that with everybody though. And I think you have, I mean, you have to kind of feel those situations out. It's like not every shoot or conversation has like the latitude for saying like, hey, it would be cool if we did this too, don't you think, down the road? But I get that because I think that, I don't know, I think most of my conversations like that have happened more or less on the front end where you start like, you you, you know, you have that, that consulting moment where you're with the client and you're talking about the project brief and it's like, okay, well, we have a lot of really great ideas here. These are, these are all completely doable, but they might be doable in different timetables, right? Like. You know, we seg- like we section off that shot list into two different two different projects, and that way each thing gets the proper attention it needs. So you can like whole ass one thing instead of half assing two. Sure, <laughs> yeah, that's that's good. <laughs> uh, 
but like that kind of idea now i guess like when it comes to pitching that uh. i don't know i think like it's in the moments where I've pitched clients on like growing an idea from, because I think that there's a certain element of, of your expertise as a, as a creator, as a photographer, as an artist to say, I hear your idea and with my lens, I can turn it into exactly what you need. Yep. But how, if I, what if I shifted it a little bit to have a little bit more of my flair yeah. and that may include an additional widget or an additional punch of things like that's sure. i think that's my version of upselling is like yeah. not necessarily like a let me sell you a whole basket right. of new things <laughs> it's like a that's an incredible idea let's take your a idea and turn it into an a plus idea yeah right i agree um, with that or like let's take your five thousand dollar project and let's really knock it out of the park and it only costs a little bit more you mm -hmm. know like we'll we'll get a couple extra resources and that'll really be the icing on the cake or you know yeah. what i mean like it's like yeah, yeah. it's one of those where it's like if you're gonna because my, my my intent is always like i want to make really cool things i want to make really great things and i want my clients to be very proud of the things that they make together with uh, with me and my hope is that you know if they come in with a killer idea my job is to help elevate it to the best it's going to be and really maximize the value on the money they spend right so it's sure. like and, and that sometimes that means spending a little bit more because you're like, you're, you're that much like I'm using a little pinchy hand gesture. <laughs> you're that much, you're so close to the next level of, of great to like from great content to killer content. Yeah. And it only takes that little bit extra. And that's my upsell. It's like, just give me a little bit more in the hours department or give me one extra assistant or a little bit more in the props, props table. Like, and we can really take your idea and just crank it up another notch. Yeah. Um, and I, I almost think that like the, the, the pitch being like, your idea is great. Let's take it one more level higher and it'll only take a little bit more. Or maybe we cut one thing on the, on the bottom of the list that might be less than stellar. It depends on the relationship. Like you have to have a good relationship with your client to say like, Hey, that's an okay idea, but my idea is awesome. You know, like, and have them buy it. It's very difficult to do that right off the bat. Here's the mm -hmm. other interesting thing that I was just thinking about. A lot of my clients aren't the client. My clients are usually the agency, right? The ad agency, the PR firm, the web development firm, whatever. Their client is the end client. So a lot of times I'm pitching them the middleman, hoping that they're going to pitch it down to somebody else. And that's a whole different line of like, selling and upselling and pitching and all that kind of stuff because really what ends up happening is a lot of the times i'll i'll pitch something to the agency and we might not do it with that client but we'll do it with another client that we work with and so my initial thought just gets kind of like rerouted but it's still an upsell and it's still a value-added pitch you know what i mean like it kind of goes there it's just it's a different way of doing it like because who i'm pitching is actually has multiple clients that i work with so you know, I guess it depends on who the end client is too. And like, yeah, is it a mom, you know, that, that, that's ordering pictures of her kid? Is it a ginormous freaking agency that wants, you know, a BMW shoot or is it like something in between? I think you just got to know your client. Agreed. Yeah. And I mean, like to your point, like sometimes the widget is just the widget, you know, it's like they come shopping for this and they only need, they only need that thing. You know, it's like, this is not an opportunity to, to push. It's just do a really good job. And you know, your, your, your upsell is the good work and knowing yeah. that you might, you might score another gig from them, you know, cause you become I, I, a go-to. I, I was on a shoot today, believe it or not, I used my camera today. You are a champion it, it of hard work. It was a good day. I was shooting a, a picture of a picture frame this morning. 
And when I positioned it and I shot it and it went up on the TV screen next to me and the the marketing director from the company said, oh, I'm sorry, um, we don't need a three-quarter. We just need it flat facing the camera. And I turned around and I said, well, that's stupid because the picture frame is really deep and you should show how thick it is. And And she said, I know, but everything else on the website is already front facing. And I was like, oh, okay, well, in the future, we should reshoot all of your picture frames and make them all three-quarter so you can see how deep they are because they're made of this beautiful metal or wood or whatever. And, and you should show that off instead of like the thin line that's up front. And she was like, yeah, I know. That is exactly what we're talking about. Like that was me pitching to the client. Think about this, you know, like when you redo your website in six months or whatever, let's just redo all the, you know, all those shots. So I I don't know. I I love to drop little, you know, drop little bugs like that and try to get people to think about those kinds of things. And that's how I pitch to my clients. And just to like hit it with one like practical example, because I like I like I like your example. That's a very real that's a very real situation that I think a lot of photographers will find themselves in. It's like you're in the middle of this thing. You're doing it per you do the you shoot it to where your mind thinks about it. And it's like, oh, well, we're shooting it to spec is the is the wrong thought. We should redo all of these down the road. Right. Uh, for continuity's sake. Right. Like just sure. for the sake of it. It's better. Why not? Um, but like I, I was a. I was doing a headshot gig, um, gosh, a while ago. This was maybe, it was a big, my, my last big headshot gig was maybe about a year ago. Okay. And it was, you know, 35 employees, all first, you know, a good sized company, like a financial services company. And it's like everyone needed an on white, on white infinity, like LinkedIn style headshot, which is, a, you know, okay, great. That's a, that's a good day of work. We're going to yeah. set it up. We'll make it like school picture day. Everyone comes in, has a time slot. <laughs> And then the, the, while we were in the pre-planning phases, it's like, okay, well, you know, we have these time slots divvied up and there will be a couple of like spaces in between where people's schedules, you know, like we'll take them away from the thing, but we'll have open availability, right? More or less. Yeah. Um, and so like my value added pitch was, okay, well, if you have any members of your executive team, of your leadership team, right? that these folks, like, they're going to obviously need the the white infinity headshot for your corporate directory, whatever. But then, you know, are they part of any kind of, like, philanthropic boards? Or are they any part of professional associations? Are they thought leaders? Do they need additional, like, imagery for positioning them in that perspective? And we can take those dead times, like those little gaps in the in the schedule, and say, if they're available, let's let's go make an environmental portrait while we're here. Totally. You know, and it's it's an easy lift. Totally. All we need is the time and it and it's a great it's an asset that A they can use and all we really need to do is charge for the licensing and the back end editing, which is a very reasonable it's re it's far more reasonable as a as an a plus one sale versus a completely new project. Like if I was to come back and do that, that's a completely different widget cost. And it's like, well, we have this is a very this is a good way to add a little bit of value and it's something that the client could actually use. You know, and the response from the client was, you're actually right. I, we have three people that are on professional boards and we get requests all the time for for them on a on a like a non-traditional portrait. Um, or it's like so and so is going to be writing an op ed for, you know, Kiplingers. And it's like we sure, need to you sim- need something we need- special. Yeah. And it's like, while while we're here, let's let's see if they're available. And if they have the if they have the, the time block, let's go make an additional image or two. 
and that and like and you can and like that happened on the front end which it ended up being something we incorporated into the day and you know they they come away with some extra widgets that they could actually get mileage out of you i ended up filling up my day so that i had, didn't have any dead spots awesome and i got a little bit of extra edit time on the back for it so everyone was happy it's a win-win it's funny while you were talking i also looked up the definition of upselling because i thought to myself for a minute do you really know what that means and it turns out i don't i don't know anything <laughs> david i know nothing well, according to Wikipedia, which is truth, by the way, in case you didn't know. Always. Upselling is a sales technique where a seller introduces the customer to purchase more expensive items, upgrades, or other add-ons in an attempt to make a more profitable sale. So I always thought it was like after the fact, but apparently upselling is just the seller making an offer to the customer as opposed to the customer. See, I totally hmm. believe in upselling now. Yeah, we fl- we no. just completely back <laughs> backpedaled our way into that one. Now that I know the definition, shit, yeah, I love upselling. I do it all the time. Too long, didn't listen. Here it is. Um, <laughs> the way you upsell is you provide solutions. You provide yeah. solutions to your clients' real problems, and yeah. you do it either beforehand, during the process, somewhere along that that transactional sure. timeline. You say, "I've heard your problem. I'm here to help solve it with you. Have you thought about this?" And that you know, right and, there, and, what you just said, I hear your problem. That makes you believable and acceptable and somebody who somebody wants to, somebody that a client wants to work with. If you, if you can say to them, I hear your problem, you need this. And in, you know, and I'm also thinking you might need these couple things too. Like that makes you a, a rock star and yeah, an so upseller. Be, so as a, as an artist, you are a problem. Like, and we talked about this, but being a professional photographer problem means you solver. are a problem solver. Yeah. Yeah. So go solve problems and help your clients be great. And, and the, the upselling will solve for itself. Yeah. Upsell the hell out of them. Yeah, for sure. They, they need lots of, everyone needs lots of things. You don't like, no one realizes how much they truly need until you really start digging through it. Could your imagery be better? Absolutely. It could, could it be updated? Of course it should be updated regularly. Yeah. So yeah, that kind of stuff. Good question. Yeah. Yeah, That was a, that was a solid one. I learned something too. I love learning stuff. Upselling. Good times. Thanks, um, Wikipedia. If you'd like to sponsor our podcast, call us. Absolutely. I will. I will shill for the. Could you imagine how? Like, I don't know. I I come. I grew up in the era of like the library and encyclopedias, mm-hmm. like the the hardbound book kind. Yeah. Dewey Decimal System. I hear you. I've been there. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I um. Uh, have you, I, I always feel bad when I click on Wikipedia and that big thing comes up at the top and it's like, "Hey, we're about donate. to go out of business. Can you please donate?" And I'm always like. Wow, you really should. Like, you use this thing a lot, all, way too often. <laughs> That's how I feel about NPR when they do the pledge drive. Oh my god, NPR too. Like, I, I feel like such a dirtbag when I'm like, oh man, I haven't contributed this year. I owe them thousands at this point. So let me just let me get out, let me get on the web, and let me yeah. throw them a couple bucks because like it's 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 incredible work that they do, and I I see an immense value from it. I get immense joy from listening to all the incredible programming. Yeah. And so like, but it's like, it's one of those, I don't remember until they tell me, which is probably why they do a pledge drive. <laughs> and then you just don't happen to have your credit card with you. So you can't donate at that time. You gotta be a sustainer. <laughs> you gotta be a, you gotta get in the sustaining club. It's like the Spotify public radio club. <laughs> oh, NPR, please don't hate me. I love you all. NPR, if you'd like to sponsor our podcast, call us. They'd say we're too animated. We need to tone down our voices. <laughs> it's true. Um, okay, next question. I got a couple other questions that I figure like we could probably round out the rest of our show with. Uh, this one's fun. 
Lightroom or Photoshop or both when photo editing? Both. Next question. Done. Next. Thank you. Next. I think there's, I don't, I know that uh, they're two totally different programs as far as I'm concerned. I know that they're eventually over time, they will be one program, but they're, they're totally different at this time. I, I truly believe that the things that Lightroom, that Lightroom lets you do, um, and that the way that it's staged and the way that like the workflow is on it is not the same as Photoshop. Photoshop is a much heavier lifter and a much deeper, um, set of tools i think it it enables you to do a lot more and it enables you to step backwards if you do if you use it properly but i i haven't used lightroom in 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 a little bit now but but back when i used it it for me was my color correction color toning styling software and then i would export and in photoshop i would do my heavy lifting i would do my uh, skin retouching my you know removal of objects um, maybe I would use a, a crop last minute, but generally I would do all that in, in Lightroom. I would get my picture kind of set and toned and then bring it into Photoshop and do some, some, some really crazy stuff with it. Um, I've been using capture one for the last couple of years now and same thing. Although I do a little bit more in capture one because it has layers. And so I do a lot more, uh, dodging and burning and that kind of stuff. Um, because I can mask and layer. And uh, especially the new version with all the masking, it's kind of insane what you can get with it. But I still, I still go into Photoshop because if I'm going to retouch product or skin or whatever, I can't do it in either of those programs. That Q tool is not meant for retouching. Ash Patino, Ooh, that's my wife. I'm calling her sh- out. I'm call her out. I love well, her, but she uses when, the Q when you're tool in a way. In, <laughs> when you're sleeping in the studio tonight. I'll give her this, though. She's handy with the Q tool. Like, she does stuff with it that I didn't know you could finesse it in that way. But it's not meant for that. So, uh, there. I said it. That's fair. Um, <laughs> what about you? Do you... I, I know you're still using Lightroom, right? You use Lightroom all the time. Yeah. Half the time. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a light, I'm a heavy Lightroom user. Um, and, I mean, like... I, I live my life in Photoshop. Um, I do, I think of like, I think of them as very much as two very separate programs because yeah. I started using Lightroom. I came from Aperture, the Macintosh software. Oh, wow. Um, into Lightroom version one. Like technically I think it was like a beta and then I like yeah. adopted version one. Um, and I've been with it ever since. And I don't know what technically CC is now. It's like 11, 14, it's I don't know, something version like that. 47. Yeah. Um, so, but like Lightroom was initially a cataloging and like local corrections, non-destructive edits only. Right. right? Um, and it's, it's still got that functionality now, but I think the product has matured over the years to include, like it has print, it has a print module and web module and, uh, full cataloging and geotagging. Mm-hmm. And like, it's, it's a big program now. It's very, very heavy. Um, so like my workflow is Lightroom is my cataloging software. It's like how I, it's my light table, okay. uh, Lightroom. So like how I kind of, co- I amass my photo collection across clients and years and all that. It's like how I keep track of everything. It's my negatives cabinet, right? Right. Um, <clears throat> so from a shoot, I'll, I'll do local corrections. You know, I'll uh, nudge a contrast slider or bump some shadows, whatever, non-destructively. And then 
once I feel good about where that is, I'll export them for heavy pixel pushing in Photoshop. So if I'm adjusting pixels or knocking blemishes or, you know, moving objects, then it is Photoshop, Photoshop, Photoshop. And I live hours of my life in Photoshop. Mm. Um, and I use bridge. I'm still like one of the five people in the world that I uses use bridge. bridge. I, I love, love bridge. I love, I love bridge. bridge. So like I use bridge as like a way of a light table for catalog for showing me like what I'm working on. So it's like, I'll have like, let's say I have a shoot and I come away with 20 selects. I've base color corrected them, white balance, whatever export to PSDs or TIFFs. And then I have them on my bridge table. Right. And each one I'll bring into Photoshop, edit, finalize export done. Yeah. That product is done. Um, and you know, I, I know you're a Capture One guy. Um, I've I love Capture One for the tether, um, yeah. the tether capabilities. It is like hands down the best program for that. So fast. Um, and the way that they process color is phenomenal. Like so good. Like I don't know I don't know how they've managed to do it, but like the way they do color, it's in my opinion a little bit. It's superior to Adobe Camera Raw, which is mm. Lightroom's kind of engine. Um, and so, but the, 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 the challenge being is that my brain is like completely in tune with Lightroom. I know Lightroom like sure. the back of my hand. Um, I will say like, I don't, I don't use any of the, the local corrections though. Like if you use like the brush tool or the spot mm -hmm. heel, I don't, I don't touch those. Um, I'm, I, I very, like, I think maybe I can count on like one hand, the number of times I've used like the blemish tool in Lightroom. Really? Okay. Just because I don't know. I don't, I think it slows down my catalog. Um, and my catalog is already pretty slow. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> so I don't, you, I don't. Quick, quick aside. How often do you start a new catalog? <laughs> Never. Um, <laughs> you have one I catalog. Should be, I should be a case study because like I, I, I've had one catalog since 2010. Oh, damn. Um, I keep, I, I, it's, and that's why, and I think that's why I use Lightroom the way I do because yeah. I don't do heavy lifting. It's just a big XML like it's a big spreadsheet for Giant me. text file. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Um, now I will say this workflow wise, what I've been trying to do is I, I am a nerd. I love gadgets. I love tools. And I've been really, really interested in this whole like iPad pro iPad as like a alternative to your desktop yeah. whole thing. And I've started implementing for like, I shoot a handful of event work every year. It's, mm -hmm. you know, not a lot. I found a way to do a good bit of that, like 80% of that workflow on an iPad using the really? mobile using the mobile Lightroom importing it directly like from the camera into the iPad into Lightroom doing the local adjustments tweaks cuz like with event photography that's usually what all it really is there's never every there's never not in my experience been any like heavy pixel pushing you're not you're not sure, white balance exposure right. so door. doing all those on an iPad when I'm like sitting on my sofa watching TV and then it instantly syncs with my light, my big Lightroom catalog on my computer. Wow. And then I just drag it over to my hard drive archive. I love, I love being at my computer as much as the next guy, but sometimes it's nice to not have to like do that. Oh yeah. Well, especially on the iPad. I mean, like you said, like it's kind of small and you can sit places and yeah, it has a, it has a pen tool, right? Or no. Uh, I, I don't use the fancy pencil. I just okay. use my finger. I use my digits. Um, ah. And it, I mean, like, it's got the little sliders. So I think Lightroom is an incredibly, I think Lightroom is an impressive, a very impressive program. Um, but I don't, I, you can't, like, to your point, you can't use it for heavy lifting. It's not meant for that. Um, that's what Photoshop is for. Photoshop is, like, that is the race car. Yeah. 
and Lightroom is like your family sedan that gets you to work every day. Did you see that? Uh, um, who is it? Zeiss built a camera this past year with Lightroom built in. With Lightroom built in, like with I, the sliders and like everything, is really kind of bizarre to see. I, I don't know how I feel about that because then it like <laughs> it's like does it does it then teach you that the whole exposure triangle is not important anymore because you're just going to fix it in Lightroom? Well, it's not. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Like just kidding, like nodding my just head kidding. at you. <laughs> I saw it at a uh, uh, Photo East this year, a uh, PPE in uh, in New York, and it was just it, I, I felt the same way. I was kind of like, oh wow, so I can just fix it right here. Like, what good is that? Like, why don't I like? Why do I have like the exposure buttons if I can just slide it after the fact? Well, and I do think there's this change in the mindset. Remember, we talked uh, a long time ago about shooting with intention, yeah. and I think a lot of people now. It's like if you look at like the the filters the like the Lightroom filter pack, yeah. like that that's the mindset now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I have I have pre baked, you know. Why can't I think of the word? I'm like those pre baked pre. Thank you. <laughs> wow, that was basic. Um, so it's like it's the preset mindset. It's like you're gonna you're gonna underexpose by two stops, and you're gonna throw this preset that makes everything like look bright and airy and beautiful. And but it's it's shooting for the edit, right? No, you're gonna you're gonna push the shadows two stops. So save the highlights and everything will look weird on camera. Right. Knowing that you're gonna fix it on the back end. Because it'll look great on Instagram. Right. Just well, don't I, ever just don't ever print it out bigger than eight it, by ten because it will look like crap. Yeah. You'll see all of that noise. Beautiful. You know what beautiful. I mean? Like even if you're on a great camera that handles noise real well, you're gonna see it. Like pushing something two stops is a lot. Even pushing film two stops is a lot. You see it mostly in the artifacting of color. It's like color yeah. banding. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 we're getting technical. And I mean, I hate to be those technical people, but like, I don't know. I, but I grew we up are. in the, but we grew up in the, I grew up in the film, the film era and you, as did you like, and where it's like, you shoot it as close to perfect as you can in camera. Yeah. I never shot film by the way. Oh, well, never mind then. I take no. that back. You fraud. <laughs> Just I bu- kidding. I bought a film camera uh, 19 years ago because I thought I was going to be a photographer. I was like, oh, I should get a film camera. And I bought one and I shot like maybe like a year's worth of stuff. And then I just stopped using it altogether. And then I got digital and I was like, well, this is something I could get on board with. I bet you shoot in program. <laughs> <laughs> just last year, I was like, I need to shoot film. All of a sudden, I had this like, newfound respect like i needed to go and i bought a stupid expensive film camera and i sold it three months later because i realized that like i bought a stupid expensive film camera and all i really needed was like a knock around and so i did i bought like i ended up like selling that and i got like a uh a canonet gl3 which is oh. like a 70s it's the poor man's yeah. like a, i yeah, have one of those nice camera and I bought a RB, uh, a Mamiya RB, the rotating mm-hmm. back medium format. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. man, I have such a good time shooting them now. I could never do it professionally. I'd die without like the instant readout on the TV. But it's fun to knock around. I also sit. I, I also sit on the film. Like I'll shoot it, and then I just kind of like put it over on my desk, and then like three months later, I develop it. I like to forget uh. about it. I'm the same. I, I think in my fridge right now, I have like two or three rolls of like fresh film. Well, fresh magic air quotes. Yeah. Um, I go, I do like maybe three, four rolls of 35 a year. I don't know. I have this old Pentax 
uh, super program. It was like my, Ooh. it was my camera that I grew up with as a kid. It's like the one that started it all, you know, magic, awesome. magic jazz hands. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I think just for nostalgia's sake, I, I push a roll of film through it every once in a while. That's cool. But like, yeah, it's a knock around. Hmm. I'll never show the photos. They're all crap. <laughs> I was just going to ask to see them. <laughs> nope. <laughs> all right. Well, next question then. <laughs> Nope. Uh, so yeah, to answer the question, we we both use them. We, uh, ones yeah. for heavy lifting, ones for light duty. If you're like me, you just use it to catalog all your stuff and keep track of all your stuff, all your yeah. images. Um, Agreed. Okay. It, it's a great program, but it's not for retouching. Someone from the Lightroom camp is going to come burn our houses down now. That's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Next question. Um, let's see. This is actually good because it kind of we talked a little bit about it. But do you guys like hard drive arrays? Um, like Drobos or Pegasus raids, or do you like a back a bunch of just regular drives? Sorry, I'm like I'm like ad libbing the question. Um, para, just para just read it like it is. Um, how do you and then how do you back up? Yeah. So workflow stuff, workflow question. Yeah, I, I've I've so having lost giant hard drives worth of uh, images at one point in my in my life before my career. Thank God. I learned how important backup was and how important the proper backup was. And so, and even though I was able to get those images back, it cost me thousands of dollars to repair that hard drive. Um, and from that day forward, I kind of was like, all right, this is important. Like really take care of this. And then years later it became my profession. And so I even upped it after that, but I did Drobo for uh, a number of years. I thought it was the coolest thing when it came out. And I sold it to all my friends and all my, uh, whatever. I, I just, I thought it was the best idea ever. And, and I had drives fail and you'd pop a new one in and away you go. And it wasn't until I was working on a, a film and we had bought a number of Drobos to, uh, store and back up that film. And it turns out that Drobos throttle the bandwidth going into them, which I didn't know about. And so shooting uh, hundreds of, uh, you know, gigabytes of red epic 5K footage and trying to get it into the Stress hard drive. Test. Yeah, uh, it just it wasn't working. And so at that point, I was like, wow, I, I had been a photographer for so long that photos were light at that point. And so I never noticed the bandwidth throttling until it was like giant 5K footage. And so after that, I kind of lost my my thing for drobos and um and i didn't have enough money at the time to like buy a, a proper hard drive array and so i ended up just with like i have a ton of uh, uh like lacy lacy however you say it big disc drives and they're all labeled with sharpie on the actual drive what the date range is and i have a duplicate version of that that lives off-site i would love to do the online i'd love to do like a web thing uh but I don't know. Like, it's how do you send that many gigabytes per week over the web? It's horrible. Plus, very slowly. I don't mind. Like, once it becomes routine, you just kind of do it. And so I don't mind, like, physically going and getting the hard drive and plugging it in and running Carbon Copy Cloner, which is what I use to make sure everything matches across drives. And then I take that drive back and I put it wherever. And I'm in a similar, well, similar ish system. Like, I. You're all in one. I, you live and work in the same spot, right? Yeah. No, I yeah. live and work in the same spot. So I, I, I'm a big fan of like cloud backup. 
like my workflow is I have, I used to have a Drobo. So like, I think it's to, it's funny. Cause like you don't really, you don't get super serious about data integrity until you lose something. Totally. <laughs> and then it's like, you just, you're just okay. Never again. And so like I had, I had a hard drive fail on me and it was incredibly expensive. I mean, I should have been a hard drive scientist repair person instead of a photographer because then I would have been rolling deep. Um, But I paid an absurd amount of money, an absurd amount of money to recover files off the broken disc. And I vowed never again. So I went out and I, I remember I went out to Fry's Electronics and I bought a big old Drobo and I filled it with hard drives. And I honestly, I, I know they've probably come a long way since then but I will never buy another Drobo ever again. And and Drobo, if you're listening to this, please, I I would love for you to change my mind, flip my perception, but like I will never buy another Drobo again because I've had nothing but headaches with that thing after year one. Um, Like the power supply, I've gone through three power supplies on a Drobo. Really? Three. Um, I've had one of the, like this is how old this thing is. It had Firewire 800 on it, which was like the fast port. it was fast at the time. Um, <laughs> and like I fried a firewire port. I don't know how just did. And Weird. yeah, it's like, I mean, like it's just been plagued with issues and like, there is nothing that freaks you out more when the Drobo lights up all red oh, and dude. you have, you have 16 <laughs> terabytes of data that are like completely inaccessible. And you're like, yeah. what do I do? <laughs> like I, you, you literally lose your, your mind. Like you go into like a ball and you cry cause you don't know what's going to happen. Um, Anyway, so now I have a, a slightly different system. I um I buy G Tech like I buy like a couple of big G Tech drives. Yeah. Um. So I used to use like rated discs. I don't like rated discs just because it makes me scared to think about one of those things failing. Yeah. I hate spinning. I hate spinning hard drives. Period. <laughs> um. So now my workflow is I have two G Tech ten terabyte drives that house my archive, like all of the client files, and that's duplicates. Right, mm-hmm. the whole formula: two is one, one is none. Yeah. Um, so those are duplicates, and then one of those is backed up to Backblaze, which is the best Ooh, deal in yeah. backup. Fifty bucks, all the data you can stomach. You just got to push it through your tiny internet connection. So you just have stuff uploading all the time. I mean, once it's uploaded, it's good until you shoot more stuff. And luckily, right. my, the scale of my jobs isn't like I don't. I'm not pushing phase files, so until then, I'm in. I'm in I'm in good shape. Um, <laughs> my files are substantially smaller than yours, which is helpful to me. Now, if I was pushing phase stuff, I think we might have a different problem. But like for now, my workflow is I have two big spinning hard drives. One is a copy. They're both like one of them is backed up to the cloud. And then for all of my like primary work, like the work that I'm working on right now, I keep it on a, um, a one terabyte SSD. Okay. So like the SSD is like super fast. It loads my previews. I can cut 4K footage if I had yeah. to on it. And then once that project is done, I wrap it and I put it to the big 10 terabyte. That's okay. So that's exactly what I do. I have these same thing, solid state, one terabytes that, I, that are my working drives. Yep. I edit on them. I do all my stuff. And the second yep. that project is done, it goes over. And that's, it's funny. I, I guess it really depends on what you're shooting. Cause like I, I quickly right here pulled up. So today I shot 387 photos. Okay. Which is, drumroll please, 47.97 gigabytes. That's not terrible. No, but 
the output of that, so each one of those, so I did, uh, let's see, it was probably like 20 setups we did today. Each one of those final photos, the second I export it as a PSD, oh, yeah. is, is 270 gigabytes. Not gigabytes, megabytes. 270 megabytes, thank you. Yeah, it's 270 say. megabytes. So that's when it gets real heavy. Mm-hmm. And so I often think like, well, how am I going to pass all that across my tiny asymmetrical by the way i'm running like an asymmetrical internet line so like my upload is nothing compared to my download like on a good day i'm pulling like five megabit you just set it on and you let it run for like the next six months and you'll get there eventually (laughs) so hopefully (laughs) no i mean but i i think like you know i would love a big you know 17 drive you know g tech array g speed server rack mounted doohickey but like at the end of the day I don't want to spend 40 grand on hard drives because I don't have that to spend. Um, and yeah. I think like with, with any, with any data integrity system, like so long as you have more, you have to have at least two backups. And as long as you have two backups, whatever your system is, whether it's right. a bunch of like hard drives you buy from Best Buy or you have cloud backups or you have a big RAID array, like so long as you have backups, that's fine. Right. But you scale it. What people forget though is like, oh, they spent, you know, yeah, I got a giant RAID array. It's running RAID, whatever, and it's everything's triplicate backed up. Okay. If your freaking house burns down, you have nothing. Nothing. You have to have a separate backup. So, like, great. If you want to run RAID arrays, great. But run them for, I don't know, run them for redundancy, run them for mirroring, whatever works for you. But the fact is that you better have another one of those RAID arrays in a closet down the street at somebody else's house because that's all that matters bottom line so there yes to the question we like hard drives (laughs) and we like to back up but i'm not a big fan of drobo uh if you really want the cheat notes to this um there is a video that chase jarvis did oh gosh it was a million years ago many many years ago but honestly it is still relevant to this day because the pro the the, what's important is that the process is scalable you can you can make it as large or as expensive or small and as affordable as you like but it's under the premise of multiple backups yeah. separated by distance and somebody physically carrying them home whatever yep. once a week or once a night or whatever the hell it is yep okay Bottom cool line. um it, okay i've uh, got a let's... camera for you that i want to talk about Ooh. okay if you want yeah we could talk cameras <laughs> it's about that time yeah uh it's an old one well let's okay. put this way. so i know they, they we're gonna talk red for a second because <laughs> red put out the dsmc2 or they have in the last couple months it's their you know their new big flagship but but i know that you, you've worked on red before right from a what well, yes from a distance I mean, from a distance like you yeah. able to like see it and maybe like poke it once but then you, yeah. like the rule the golden rule is you never touch a dp's camera unless he like says or he or she says so yeah totally but the uh, the original what, what, what you working with what epics right or Red Epic Scar- or Scarlet? Scarlet's? Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about the workflow and the the camera and the, and the functionality. You saw it. You touched it. You 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 oogled it, if you will. Oogled is the right word. <laughs> I think that's what you, everyone oogles the reds. I think red is uh, it's the term red is laden with like all of this hatred and love and it's kind of like red is kind of like a Leica. It, it really is though because but it's like, functional we, so we we like we all hate them but we all want it's like we all want them yeah so give me like, your give me give me your thoughts on the 
I, I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna single out a single camera that Red makes. Give me your thoughts on Red as a camera in general. Oh gosh, um, this is where you say you hate it, and then we cut it down to you know. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I, I. Look, I don't own one. I would love to own one. I wish I had the means to own one. I wish I had the workflow that supported it. Um, I envy them whenever I see them, and anyone that shoots stuff with them, they make beautiful things. Um, that being said, like I do think that you know there are there are other cameras out there that are as capable, if not more so, mm-hmm. for for less money. Um, and I think that I think that it's it's it is very, wow that that Leica association is very very. <laughs> Very, very fitting because it's like when, when you say, oh, did you shoot on red? People like, they lose their stuff. Like if you want, if you want a client's mouth to hit the floor and be like, yup, whatever you want, just say, oh, I shoot red. I'm like, oh, then, well then instantly you, you're, you're a, you're a professional. Yeah. You're a pro. You don't, you can't buy that at Best Buy. (laughs) Right. Not yet. it's getting there. Yet. <laughs> but like, so that being like, I think that it, there is, there is a little bit, which is kind of the crappy part about our, our industry and the gear section of it. Like the parts that the layman know it carries, it carries a, it carries a gravitas. Um, yeah. um, but that being said, like, I don't know. I, I, I think like black magic, we talk about black magic, their color science is incredible and their yeah. budget. Like they give you so much for so little like value wise. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I love reds. I would love to shoot one. Uh, I would love to play with one. If if I if I had the work to support it, I would own one. Yeah, um, they're gorgeous. They Pretty. just they, I love that it's all modular and that you can like connect the parts and stuff. The the problem I think the biggest problem I have with it is that it, it runs these really expensive SSDs, which it needs. I understand the why. mini mags. Oh my gosh, the mini yeah. mags. But it only runs one of them. And like you can't run a like you can't install a, a mag reader on the other side of the camera, so you're stuck with this like single card reader camera. I mean, honestly though, like if you're if you're running big 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 production and like you run reds all the time, like I have to imagine you have a DIT on set who's like who has got who's got a feed from an SDI out and is like running dual recorders and all that stuff. You know, like so you think? Hold on there. So you think? This single card slot camera is still worth it. Ooh. So Red is now going to put out a camera with two slots. You think it's okay. This goes against everything you've ever, ever told me in life. Uh, I know. I know. But it's so pretty. Well, no, it's it's garbage. (laughs) Bad camera. Don't buy one. Uh, If you own a Red, sell it. Put it up on Craigslist um, and wait for David's impending email. (laughs) (laughs) I'll buy it. I'll buy it. You had a red. What are you talking about? You, you had it. one and you I sold, sold it because only had one card slot. Only one card slot. <laughs> um, thanks for uh, listening, guys. Uh, this has been episode six of Office Hours. We really appreciate you spending your time with us. If there is something that you guys want to hear about or you have questions, shoot us an email. Hit Slide into our DMs. Um, you can find me at Ashton Stan on the Insta uh, or David A. Patino everywhere. You just Google mm-hmm. that and it'll spit out a bunch of stuff with David's stuff on it. Um, this podcast is produced by the Tannery Studio in Stanhope, New Jersey, and produced by Katie Lantuck uh, of KOPR. Love you, Katie. You're awesome. Thanks, um, Katie. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's it. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll uh, see you guys in the next one. Have a good one. <laughs>